Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Let's talk about, when we talk about aftercare, we're talking about a pretty long process because of the deep damage that's been done. Is that fair to say, Matt? Very fair to say, yes. Um, And so we're talking years, or in most cases? Yeah, I would say definitely years. Um, For so many of these children after spending, I can't imagine even spending months in these situations and not needing years of care. Um, And the post-traumatic stress that's involved. um, I mean, we have kids that, a lot of our kids are part of our program until they're out of school, but simply because they have nowhere to go. Um, Out of school would be what age in, in Africa? Well, it depends. Many of them have missed out on years of schooling while they were involved with rebel groups. But we had um, our most recent group, average age was about 21, mm-hmm. uh, as they were able to finish secondary school. And then we're able to, actually all of them are now in university, which is awesome. Hmm. Um, but yeah, years of rehabilitation, and I don't know that recovery is ever truly over. There's mm-hmm. always going to be that remnant of what my experiences were and that part of healing that becomes how do I, how do I give back? Um, but yeah, I would say a, a three to six month uh, rehabilitation um, is silly. Mm-hmm. I, don't, yeah, I think that you could do some things, some great things in three to six months, but it's, it's a very long-term investment. Mm. It says we're with you and we're in this um, for the long haul. And this actually is, I'm working my way to the point, which is that uh, because it's so intensive and so long-term, it really does demand a lot of, uh, of support and human resources to actually pull it off. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, that's the aftercare part. We, we we'll come to the prevention part as well. Okay, now now I'm ready to make the transition <laughs> uh, with that in place. And that is all right. So someone is listening and they say, okay, I, I can see this is serious and there's um, uh, there are real needs. Uh, most Christians would go, what do I do? Where do I start? Where does it begin? Uh, where does it begin for average person who has a sensitivity that says, "Yeah, there's something wrong," and and this is this is wor- a worthwhile thing to think about uh, contributing to. What what kind of options exist for a Christian? Or maybe another way to ask the question is, what advice would you give to someone for whom this is a new area and they're thinking through? What it means for them in their in their walk, you know, Barry. You said you wanted to talk about this from a spiritual angle. Why don't we start there? Yeah. So, um, I think one of the things would be to commit to becoming more deeply informed, right? To just find out more about it. Um, Love one forty six has some great educational type resources. Love one forty six dot org slash slavery has a wonderful just uh, a, a, a kind of walkthrough of some of the statistics and realities. I know that the International Justice Mission website has some great resources in that regard. So as you become more aware and informed, uh, I think that the next thing would be to, to allow that to drive you to, to prayer, to be committed to making this a part of something that you're integrating into what you're pleading with God um, about. to. to to, to respond to, to, to help lead you to know how best to respond to this reality. Um, and then from there, beginning to say, now what, what can I, given my circumstances, given my resources, given where God has placed me in life, what can I proactively do? 
uh, can I give financially to some of these organizations that are uh, responding to this issue domestically and internationally? Can I volunteer my time and be a part of um, some of these kind of holistic um, kind of prevention measures, be involved in organizations that are working with at-risk kids? Uh, for some, I mean, I think about where you and I are in an academic institution. For some, it is um, saying, how can I pursue uh, education that's going to prepare me to be able to go and serve the needs, to be a part of these much-needed How do we prepare resources? pastors to be able to walk into this area yeah. and interact and, and, and encourage their people Absolutely, in this right. As a pastor, how do I bring this to my congregation, help them be informed, and then know how to respond to it? So, yeah, there, there's, there's so many angles of this and so many aspects of it, but something that we really need to know and understand and move more deeply into. Okay, so first is being aware. Matt, would you, what would you say are th- other things Christians can do? And, and then I'll come to Kim next. Um, compassion is a, one of my favorite words um, because it's it's not just about an emotion. It's not just about a feeling. Um, I don't think compassion even becomes compassion until there's action. Um, so as Barry said, that's starting on your knees and praying. Um, God has the ability to do so much more than I do as an individual. So I'd ask you to, to be on your knees and pray. Um, but then moving on to awareness, being aware of yourself, educate yourself, and then share that with others. Um, I think we're all here today because we want the broader culture to better understand this topic. So as you hear this today, then to go out and share this, whether it's in your school, in your class, or at work when you're at the water fountain, hey, this is a topic I'm learning about. Let me share it with you. Um, but then also to volunteer. I mean, there are local organizations to volunteer with, but then there's also broader needs internationally where some will be able to volunteer, but not all. Uh, and financially supporting ministries that are doing something is a huge way that many people could be involved, whether it's small. I mean, we have people, we have high school kids that are behind us at $7 a month. Hmm. You know, they're, they're giving up their sonic run with their friends. <laughs> yeah. Uh, can all do something in that regard. Kim? Um, you know, I have a lot of uh, young adults in particular that will come to me and ask me this question, what can I do? And I think in particular that that age group, they're at such a, um, a time in their lives that they're making decisions, making choices that uh, put them on certain paths. Mm-hmm. And the first, the first question that I ask them is, you know, well, how has God gifted you? How are you wired? And, and if this is something that you feel like God is really calling you to, then what you need to do is you need to, you need to orient your life in such a way that begins to put you on this kind of path. Um, there's a, a young adult woman that, that I have uh, discipled for the last five or six years, and, um, and she's actually a DTS grad. And, um, and We've talked about trafficking for years, of course, and she went with me on the trip to Southeast Asia. And she came back, and and I had no idea this is what God was stirring in her heart, but she's now come back to DTS to finish her counseling certification so that she can work with uh, girls that have been trafficked. And so... I do think that the the question of okay, how has God gifted me? How has God oriented my life? What is he What has he given me in my life? Really, I think feeds into 
um, how to deal with this this situation. There are a lot of people that feel it, that there's not anything tangible that they they can do. It's an intimidating area. Yeah, in some it, it is. Yeah. It's so overwhelming. Yeah. You know, you read the stories and you go, "This is very dark." It mm-hmm. is such a dark, dark thing. But um, but I think that and going back to the the connecting in your community, finding these organizations, big brothers, big sisters, I mean, those kinds of things, even fostering. Those uh, families that are currently fostering, what you're doing is you are actually um, helping in this issue. Foster mm. kids are very, very vulnerable. The older they get, the more vulnerable they, they become because of the uh, the runaway issue. And so uh, there's so many ways that just kind of easy ways that you can really, really get involved in. And then those that just feel like they don't have the time or quite frankly, the energy mm-hmm. to to put towards this, really finances are a huge thing to these organizations. Mm-hmm. To be able to, I mean, you you heard heard him talk about the fact that aftercare doesn't happen in three to six months. This mm-hmm. is something that goes on for years. And to be able to do an effective job, you have to have the financing mm-hmm. behind it. You have to be able to um, – you have to do it long term. It's not something that happens overnight. And so there are people, I believe, that are out there that, you know what, God is God is giving you money, resources to to help with this issue. Do that. And that those are some of the main issues. And again, prayer, I think that's that's initially I think that's where people need to start and must start. So we've got uh, we've got these sites that are available. Matt, you have any sites to recommend that people should go to if they want to get informed and find out what's going on and and maybe get oriented uh, more than we're able to do here? Yeah, I think like Barry said, um, Love One One Four Six has a great website. Um, I think there's a Learn More tab mm-hmm. that opens up a booklet with yeah. lots of great statistics. Um, I would go to International Justice Mission. Uh, it's actually just IJM dot org. Um, another great place to start um, is halfthesky.movement.org. Um, they're supporting many organizations, and you can find uh, resources not only on the Half the Sky Movement website, but then also it'll link you to many other places where you can find opportunities to either support or get involved. Um, yeah. What it, What is Half the Sky? We haven't talked about them very much. Uh, what What it, What do they do? Um, Nicholas Kristoff and his wife. Uh, wrote a book uh, a few years back about the exploitation of women. Now, he's a writer for the New York yes. Times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Thanks for the contest. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm used to hearing his name now. Right, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, let's see. What was I saying? Nicholas Kristoff. So it's based on um, the book that they wrote about sexual or just exploitation of women. And it really covers a lot of the topics we're talking about here today. But it was also recently turned into a documentary and they were really smart about how they went about it they recruited lots of um, actors and actresses to help uh, get a lot more eyeballs on this so i think it's uh doing do some great things to make the broader population aware of what's actually going on around us and around the world you know it's interesting uh because i i think this shows an interesting connection that 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 some people will probably have a pause about and yet it shows the value of this kind of ministry um, Nicholas Kristoff's done a, a wide variety of writing and a wide variety of areas for the New York Times um, but when you get him to write in this area he is very um, clear and direct about how 
uh, many Christians are involved in this area and, and what a terrific help and ministry the presence of Christians has been uh, in this area. And, and so, you, you know, you don't normally put New York Times mm -hmm. an endorsement of Christian mm -hmm. activity uh, next to one another. So I, I think it shows mm -hmm. something that is revealing that, that's part of the part of the point of this, and that is here is an area of obviously terrific human need uh, and, and, and terrific, um, as dark as it is in one sense, opportunity mm -hmm. to, to portray what redemption is all mm -hmm. about in, in a very concrete and specific kind of way. Um, I actually had had brought with me something I read this weekend from uh, not in, not anticipating this combination of things happening. I'm reading a book called The Great Evangelical Recession. It's by John Dickerson. He's looking at the condition of the evangelical church today, and I'm you know I'm thinking about a standard uh, uh, sociological and journalistic analysis. Uh, Dickerson is a pastor in Arizona who also has a is a background as a journalist, and so he writes with both of those combinations. Well, in one of the chapters uh, that he's dealing with, he's he's dealing with. Um, what he calls revaluing, where he's thinking about being, he's calling it become a 21st century evangelical. And he opens the chapter with a discussion of, uh, of someone who, um, who is, who's been found out of, out of prostitution, who's been trafficked. And uh, the testimony that he has is a gal named Steph. And uh, he says, this is chapter 8, it's called Good, and he says, uh, Stati statistically, Steph was on course to die by age 30 by drug overdose, STD-related illness, or murder. Prostitutes have the highest murder rate in the United States due to paid rapes gone too far. This is, now she's speaking. I never saw myself making it past the age 18, she says. That's when she was rescued at age 18. Steph says this of the Christian counselor who walked along her, alongside her in her recovery from the bondage of sex trafficking. Now she quote again. She has brought light into the darkest places of my heart by loving me unconditionally. For seven or eight months, she just loved me and invested in me and never pushed me spiritually. It was through that love that I received from her that I've really been a lot more accepting of the church. Even a year ago, I was really anti-church. Now, I'm not a Christian, but I'm a lot more accepting of it and open to it. That's because she showed me love and was very conscious of my own needs and my own spiritual abuse. That's, a, uh, I think, a pretty powerful testimony about another combination. We've talked about the New York Times reporter and Christians on the one hand, but here is the impact of what this ministry does and can do for people as they, as they land and are, and are brought back to recovery and brought back to a, a more uh, healthy Place. I suspect, Matt, you have stories. Kim, you have stories that go, that go along these lines that 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 run down this track. Is that right? Yeah. You want to hear some? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're sharp, man. I tell you, <laughs> go ahead. You know, one of my favorite guys is one of the four that just started university recently. He was. 15 years old when he was initially abducted by a rebel group in DR Congo. Um, he spent about three years with this rebel group. Um, during that time, he was, I mean, utterly brainwashed. Um, it had become, and this is from him sharing his story with me, um, it had just become a way of life. It had become the norm to when you're hungry, when you need food, you go and you attack people and you take what you need. You take what the group needs. 
um, he had a uh, spiritual experience. Um, I don't really know how to put words to, except to compare it to a Damascus Road experience, mm-hmm. um, where he really felt uh, it was like the wake-up call to what he was doing and Jesus calling him away from it. It wasn't an immediate change for him, um, but it was something, it was just that light bulb that went off for him. And about two weeks later, he saw that opportunity that he never thought he would. It was that um, perfect opportunity to get away. And he knew this was his crossroads. Um, He took that opportunity. He got away, um, got plugged into um, our Peace Live Center in Goma, DRC. And now, about three years later, he's been able to finish his education. Um, is one of the most vibrant, beautiful men I've ever met. Whenever he told me his story and told me the things he had participated in, um, I just, I can't see it on him. I don't know that it was ever possible for him to do those things, uh, these acts of violence, as he now mentors uh, his younger peers. And he's, they call him the chief at the Peace Live Center. Hmm. Uh, even before he was graduating, I mean, he was just, he is the leader pointing them um, towards Jesus, towards peace, towards rehabilitation. Um, and now that he has graduated, he's actually been trained alongside some of our other counselors so that he can be an even better mentor and leader to them. And he's and, a very young guy, I take it. Yeah, uh, he's 21 now. Yeah. So he's three years with the Rebel Group um, and about three years out now. Actually, he might be teetering on 22. Oh, wow, an old man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, now he just started university and he is. Uh, actually studying to be a counselor so that he can pass on that rehabilitation to other children. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on The Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. Kim? Mm -hmm. Oh, goodness. There's a million stories. (laughs) And the first I would say, and I I spoke just briefly about this, but when I was in the um, roundhouse and actually saw the girls for myself, and there were probably about, oh, I think there were 10 girls there, and there were a couple of new girls that had come in. And what was so fascinating to me was to actually look at their countenance. never having spoken to any of them, but I could immediately identify the girls who were new, the girls who had just gotten there. Because the girls who had already been there, there was a joy that literally was oozing from their fingertips. I can't even explain it. There was a joy in this this place that you would never expect. You would never expect these these girls who had been so abused, so exploited, 
that they would be able to find any joy, any light. Um, there was one girl in particular, it was one of the first girls that came to uh, the Love 146 house, the roundhouse. Her name was Surrey. And um, Surrey came in and she, it, it was one of your very typical kind of trafficking stories, very abused situation. Um, and her family knew that she had been trafficked and were looking for her. Uh, she was then found. Uh, they then put her in the roundhouse. She was given rehabilitation. But one of the things that Surrey thought that would never happen was that there would be any sort of redemption to her story, hmm. that there would ever be any light to the life that she had been exposed to. Um, and, um, I mean, she was to the point where there were days that, she wanted to kill herself. I mean, there were days these girls go through so, so, so much in terms of the psychological damage that has been done to them and just trying to to untangle that and trying to figure that out. Well, um, kind of fast forward through the sto story, um, Suri thought she would never be loved. No one would ever love me. Well, Suri fell in love. And um, and she was this moment of this beautiful moment. They did this beautiful wedding for she and her fiance. And it was this moment that she knew that she was there was this redemption. There was this beautiful restoration. And it was a beautiful picture, I believe, of the church. Hmm. And uh, so there are just so many stories out there. And that I and I remember talking to Gundalina, who is the person who runs the roundhouse, um, while we were there and um, and just asking her questions, you know, what is this like for you? And as she began to tell me her own story, uh, she had been a, a successful counselor in the university. And, but she recognized that counseling without Jesus was no counseling. Therapy without Jesus is no therapy. And so when you see these girls and you see the difference, the countenance difference, that's not just man-made. That's something that's Christ-made. And that's, that's the light that I see. That's where the transformation is. And it's really an encouraging thing to someone as an onlooker who says, man, God can do great things in our lives. So people can't go there unless the church is involved in, in, in many ways is what mm -hmm. you're saying. Yeah. That, that any restoration that comes on the other side uh, will be limited without, uh, without rounding it out with the full perspective of what it is that Christ can bring. Okay, we've talked about aftercare. We're, we're running tight on time, but but I do I do want to go to prevention uh, briefly. Um, how how can a Christian be involved on the prevention side? We you know, we've already said okay, well you don't you know vigilante style go and run and destroy a, a brothel or something like that. So so how do you what can Christians do on the prevention side uh, to get at the people before they to use your metaphor go over the cliff? Matt, um, prevention. I think uh, I think I've used this word too many times now, but it first starts with awareness. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think. I mean, I meet people constantly like human trafficking. What mm -hmm. child soldiering? What is that? Mm -hmm. Sex trafficking? Uh, so many people are have no idea what's going on around us. Uh, so making other people aware, I think, is a, is something that we can all do. Um, but then prevention as well, um, investing um, your life, um, whether that's through um, actions, things like actually your time, or whether that's finances, 
in organizations that are focused on that. There are some great organizations out there focused on prevention, mm-hmm. um, one one of which is International Justice Mission. I think they are doing phenomenal work. Um, so investing in an organization like that and trusting um, what they do is a great place to start. Okay. And if someone wanted to do more than just invest money, what might be the possibilities in that regard? What what Are there spots for volunteers or things like that that can be done? Yeah. I mean, with my organization, there is. With other organizations, I'm sure it's, it's going to be unique to each organization. But even beyond uh, volunteering, Kim, I think you mentioned earlier about just being aware of what's going on when you go to a restaurant. Uh, even in how you buy chocolate. Mm-hmm. Um, do your research, find out where, like is the company that you're buying from, are they making sure yeah. that their labors are treated fairly? Yeah. Slavery, um, was it slaveryfootprint.org where you can actually uh, go to the website and find out what are the mm-hmm. things that you're purchasing um, mm-hmm. and uh, and is it contributing to slavery across the world? It, you're, you'd be fascinated. So that's slavery. So slaveryfootprint.org. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh-huh. Slaveryfootprint.org. We're, we're such an app culture too. Not for sale actually has. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what it's called, but if you you know type in not for sale, I'm sure it'll pop up. But mm-hmm. um, they have ratings for multiple uh-huh. different companies right there on the app. I mean, everyone from a couple of chocolate companies to Nike to you name it. There's a lot of them on there, and they're constantly building that directory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Um, in terms of uh, prevention, I, I, one of the areas that I really – and I'm glad that you've actually been talking about sexuality over the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. One of the areas that I really feel like the church has got to address is on the demand side, mm-hmm. um, in terms of the men in the churches. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We there there would be no need. If, I mean, there would be no trafficking if there was no need. Right. And so what we have is we've got a huge issue with pornography. Mm-hmm. We've got a huge issue with with men purchasing sex, mm-hmm. and it's happening in our churches. Mm-hmm. And for too long, I feel like the church has been silent on the subject of sex, mm-hmm. and um, and. We may not want to believe that it's happening in our churches, but it is. And I think that is one of the main areas that must be addressed is the demand side. Um, I believe it's like one out of five pornographic images online is of a child. Um, And 55%, I believe, 55% of those images come from the U.S. And to me, there's a huge, huge issue here, and I think it's an opportunity because we've just talked about how the light changes the individual, how Christ coming into someone's life completely changes them. And so if we believe that Christ can change the victim, why can't we believe that Christ can change the victimizer? Mm-hmm. And so for me, that is the one area that is not being addressed well, and um, it's a it's a great opportunity for the church. I feel like to really have a great, just a huge impact in this particular issue. That's where I would yeah. start. <laughs> Barry, and yeah. you can add from a standpoint of a someone who's who's in a church that's trying to bring awareness to this kind of a topic. Absolutely. So, uh, some things that I think of in terms of what we have tried to do and are going to continue to grow in as a church is is that awareness piece that all of us have really emphasized is so important, just bringing people to understand the reality of what's happening. Um, And so we have dedicated times, we've dedicated, as I said, services 
to this issue where we're really drawing attention to it. I preached out of Isaiah 58 and this vision of, of restoration um, that, uh, that you find there, this vision of justice that's there in the scriptures as a mandate for us. And so really bringing the church to be aware of it. And then we have made just strategic partnership choices, both locally and internationally. So recognizing that this is something that is a domestic issue, and so what can we do, and where can we send people to volunteer in holistic prevention kinds of efforts? It's a different locally. kind of missions commitment, isn't mm-hmm. it, from a church? It, 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 it really is, but it, but it involves us in local public schools, it involves us in after-school care, it involves us in sending people into the juvenile detention center, things like this, and then to also strategically connect with international organizations. So it's genuine cultural engagement and mm-hmm. At levels at which life is being lived out yeah. in the culture, absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think it's very, very important as we talk about this to to make sure that the that the if I can say the biblical and spiritual connections are clear because I think that some people in their minds have said, oh, that's mm-hmm. that's politics or social action. Mm-hmm. They put it off off in a in a category off to the side that's detached from the mission and direction of the church. But in fact, what you're seeing is a living out of the great commandment, you know, where you not only love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, but you love your neighbor as yourself. That's something the the church is called to be. That actually builds the credibility Mm -hmm. underneath everything that the church proclaims and says. And so to be able to live that out and to show that is a powerful, I think, means uh, uh, that, that supports not only the truth of the message that we bring, but the credibility with Absolutely. which we bring it. And that I, I think that's extremely important in this kind of a conversation because it's all too easy to say, well, that's politics or social action. The moment you say the word justice, you know, some people mm. react. And, and, uh, and, and I think that uh, what we see is a picture of the very kinds of people Jesus reached out to. He got in trouble because he reached out to tax collectors and to sinners and to, you know, he forgave the woman caught in adultery, mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. kinds of situations. And yet here is an opportunity for the church to be able to step in and, um, and uh, hopefully put a stop sign mm-hmm. on the traffic mm-hmm. and uh, in the process uh, do something positive. Matt, I'm going to let you have a, a kind of a final word for us uh, on this. Um, what would you say to those who are listening for whom this may be the first time they've ever even thought about this issue in any detail? Um, before I do that, I want to add one quick thing. Sure, absolutely. Involved. Um, I didn't think about it earlier, but the U.S. government is actually very involved in mm-hmm. some of these efforts. Um, so contacting your congressman and your representatives is another huge way that we can all be involved. It just takes a phone call or an email, a letter, um, but they they're going to respond to the masses. And if if we all, as a Sunday school class, as a church, say, hey, on Saturday, or, well, probably not Saturday, let's say Tuesday, we're going to call our representative, and he gets 2,000 calls, he's not going to be able to ignore that. Mm -hmm. So make your voice known and be strategic about it. Um, So bringing it back, wrapping it up, uh, I believe as believers, uh, we are called to live out the gospel, not just in our words, as you just said, Daryl, but also in our actions. Um, you started this off pointing to Jesus, and he often spoke, but then he followed it up with action, and he did something about it. Now, until we stand up and do something about it, there are many who are not going to pay attention, and there, there are many who are going to continue suffering 
because we haven't stood up and we haven't taken action. So I hope that those who are watching this today will, will first become aware, will help make other people aware, but then you'll start to orient your lives in a way that makes a difference. Now, going about your life the way that you have the last couple of years, the whole, your whole life, um, may not change things, but you may have the ability to change someone's life by reorienting your life. Now, you each people become paralyzed. I hear this all the time. Like, wait, there's how many child so There's how many people trafficked every year? How could we ever make a dent in that? But for one person, mm -hmm. for one person, if you act and you do something and you change their life, you've changed their world. So who are we not to at least step up and do that? Mm -hmm. Kim? Well, first, I would also want to um, give the number, the hotline. It's the... Uh, the number that the U.S. provides that if you find someone that you suspect is being trafficked, I'd love for people to actually put that number into their cell phone. It's one eight 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 three seven three seven eight eight eight. That's one eight 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 three seven three seven eight eight eight. And um, if you suspect anything. Um, then you call this. It's not your job to actually uh, do any kind of research and, and find out, you know, if per perhaps this is a brothel or whatever, you know, or someone that's your server. Um, but but it is your job to respond. And uh, this line has been a a available for some time now, and they do a great job um, with uh, finding out what's going on in your circumstances. Um, again, I I would just reiterate what everyone has said here today about the fact that we have a responsibility as followers of Christ that it's it's not about just me myself and my god it is about a community and um and Christ is asking us to step out of our comfort zones, to um, to reach out and love people well, to give our lives. When we when we give our lives to the gospel, we are giving our lives um, to to these these others, these people that He's created, and and it's a beautiful thing. I think once you step into this kind of arena, whether it's with human trafficking or whatever are our big issues of today, when you step into these areas man and i'm probably going to bring up what barry's talking about it really it changes you spiritually mm -hmm. for me i have had such personal spiritual change in a way that i, I i'm not quite sure if i would have ever thought would happen um the spirit um just works in great great ways um so i would just suggest for people to just pray and just ask God to use them because there are big issues in this world that that God desires for us to engage in. Barry? You know, I've come to believe more and more that, that, that one of the central integrating motifs throughout the scriptures is captured in this little Hebrew word shalom. Mm -hmm. It's translated in the prophets as, as, as peace, but it really captures so much more than that. It is, um, I think, the word shalom cap carries the idea of the dream of God for a world set right. Mm -hmm. And that when Christ's kingdom comes in its fullness, the reign of God uninhibited, that's what we will experience, the world set right. Uh, but when we saw Jesus in his embodied ministry on earth, everywhere he went, glimpses of shalom showed up. And I think for us, if we are going to experience transformation into Christ-likeness, that we need to be dedicated to becoming those kind of people who, when we experience the, the vandalism of shalom, the violation of shalom, 
things not being the way God wants it to be, that we dedicate ourselves to to bringing glimpses of that future that is to come into the kind of world that we're living in right now. And what we have seen consistently in this is that the bright light of Christ shines all the brighter against the backdrop of darkness that we experience. And uh, and so we need to become a people who are committed to living according to that kind of vision. Well, I want to thank you all for taking the time to do this today to talk about human trafficking. It's a it is a major topic. It's one that the church tends not to talk about, but it is an area that has um, where there's terrific pain and terrific darkness, but also opportunities. And uh, and hopefully we've helped people uh, to see that. So thank you for being with us at the table. Uh, this week, where we consider issues of God and culture, and particularly those places where God can step in and take something very dark in the culture and bring it to light. That's what we're hoping uh, this helps people do. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast. Two clergy of different traditions, Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman, discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.